0: The title of this morning's message is Experience the Reality of God's Grace. His absolutely free loving kindness. Father God, I thank you that we can know you. That we can really know you and know your love for us. Not in a way that's just in our head, but in a way that we become that love. We so receive and Recognize that's who you are and that's who you are in us. We are called to live and know by experience the great love of our Father and our Jesus. And we thank you, Father. I ask that you open our eyes to see what my words won't be able to tell. I ask, Father God, that you open the eyes of our hearts that we would understand what the Spirit is saying that you would help us to read between the lines and receive all that you have for us this morning. And I ask it to the glory of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. The words, experience the reality of God's grace, are found in the Passion Translation of the book of Colossians. Colossians 1, verses 5 and 6. Your faith and love rise within you, as you access all the treasures of your inheritance stored up in the heavenly realm. For the revelation of the true gospel is as real today as the day you first heard of our glorious hope, now that you have believed in the truth of the gospel. This is the wonderful message that is being spread everywhere, powerfully changing hearts throughout the earth, just like it has changed you. Every believer of this good news bears the fruit of eternal life as they experience the reality of God's grace. Experiencing the reality of God's grace causes the fruit of eternal life, the life of Christ in us, to come forth in our lives. And that was the reason the Apostle Paul wrote the letter. He wanted the Colossians to continue to experience the reality of God's grace and to continue to bear fruit in increasing measure. And this fruit bearing comes from knowing the truth of the true gospel. The true gospel is John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world, for God so loved me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life not when he dies, but when he receives Jesus. <laughs> for God sent his son not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, that I, through him, might be saved. It is also Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace, God's unmerited favor, God's unconditional love, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift. The free gift of God. None of works, lest any man should boast. This is the true gospel. Nothing God has is for sale. You cannot buy anything God has. Salvation is completely and totally a gift of God's grace. God's absolutely free, loving kindness and his divine influence upon our hearts. This gift has no small print that we have to worry about. It has no hidden fees and it has no co payments. <laughs> Salvation is in its entirety a gracious gift from our loving Heavenly Father and it is received by faith in Jesus Christ. Simple and easy. Unfortunately, the Colossians were receiving some bad teaching. And we're going to look in the book of Colossians this morning. Some false teachers were, quote-unquote, helping the new believers at Colossae with their newfound faith. And instead of these teachings producing peace and confidence in Christ, it was producing insecurity, immaturity, even doubt and fear. So at the end of this letter, the Apostle Paul tells them some of the reasons that he has sent this letter to them. I want you to see that. In Colossians 4:8 it says... In part, one of the reasons he sent this letter was to comfort and encourage their hearts. In verse 12 of that same chapter, he says, So that ye may stand perfect, and that means mature, and fully assured in all the will of God. Why did their hearts need to be comforted and encouraged? Why weren't they fully assured in all the will of God for their lives? Well, probably because false teachers were trying to convince them that the gift of salvation that they had received was actually insufficient. An insufficient salvation is a very scary thing. <laughs> An insufficient salvation would mean that you and I would have to come up with whatever it is we needed in order to make our salvation sufficient and complete. Lack like of copayment. It would be just like the false teachers were telling them that they would need to add something more to their faith in Jesus and their faith in God's grace. God's grace is God's unmerited favor, His unconditional love, and His unconditional acceptance of us in His Son. And it's also His divine influence upon our hearts. That's what they needed. That's what they needed to be taught. is that this salvation is a free gift all the way along. The truth is their trust in Jesus for salvation was not insufficient, but their understanding of their salvation was. And it was their lack of understanding of the true gospel of God's grace that brought them unrest. I had that same unrest years ago, many, many years ago, in fact, most of my life, most of my Christian life, I spent it in a place of unrest because I was sure there were hidden fees and there were co payments that I had to make and I had to make certain deposits in order to get God's blessing, to get God's approval. And it was never true. But I didn't understand. Many years ago, before I had the fuller revelation of God's grace, I was having a conversation with God in my car. That's where I had church most of the time, was in my car. <laughs> and I asked him if I could trust him to keep me saved. Because I was afraid that at some time in my life, I might not be in my right mind. And in that condition, I could reject Christ and go to hell. Because I had heard of you know, women going through menopause and losing their mind. people becoming mentally ill and doing crazy things. I had heard people having brain damage and doing things that were completely out of character for them, and that scared me. What if those things happened to me? Could I reject my Jesus when I was not in my right mind and go to hell? The thought of that scared me because in those thoughts, I realized I could not guarantee my own faithfulness the entirety of my life. And I was pretty sure that it was my faithfulness that really kept me saved. (laughs) But in that moment, I realized just how crazy it would be for me to trust myself to keep myself saved. The truth was, I just wasn't that trustworthy. Now, I was as faithful as I knew how to be, and I loved God with all of my heart to the best of my ability, but I was so human I was so fallible. I was so unable to completely control my life. And that brought fear. But in that moment of fear, the Holy Spirit brought me a question. Can I trust God to keep me saved? I asked him, can I do that? (laughs) Can I trust you to keep me saved? You see, that was a foreign thought to me. God keeping me saved? I had never heard of such a thing. (laughs) Is it biblical? Is it legal? (laughs) You see, I had learned to trust God in different ways. I had learned to trust Him to take care of me financially month by month. I had a monthly paycheck. And I could pay my tithe and say, God, I'm trusting you. See, I understood giving was about trusting. It wasn't about buying. See, I understood that much. (laughs) I wasn't fully mature in that understanding, but I understood that I could trust him to keep me financially safe for an entire month. But could I trust him to keep me safe for my whole life? (laughs) Wow. I wasn't sure he would be willing to agree to such a thing, taking on the responsibility of keeping me saved. But he answered me and he said, of course. I love you. You can trust me to keep you saved. Now, in my understanding, that meant that he would be faithful to bring me plenty of pain if I ever got really stupid. <laughs> I'm still growing in my understanding. <laughs> but even in my limited understanding at that time, I finally experienced rest. You see, I shifted the burden of responsibility for my salvation over to God. I didn't have to be the watchdog over me anymore. I was so freeing. God said he would take responsibility for keeping me saved. And my heart was finally comforted because I finally had the assurance that God was the one who would make sure I went to heaven. My trust was finally in his goodness and his faithfulness instead of my own. Now, it appears that the Colossians were in the same kind of predicament. They needed to have their hearts comforted and encouraged too. They needed to be able to stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. They needed to know the truth about the true gospel. The one they had first heard from the apostles, that they are saved completely by grace through faith in jesus and only by faith in jesus not faith in themselves and not faith in what they could do or add the false teachings that they were hearing were causing them to doubt the truth that faith in jesus was truly all they ever needed in order to receive and experience god's grace the king james of these two verses colossians 1 5 and 6 says this because of the hope which is laid up for you in the heavens, whereof ye heard before that the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you, even as it is also in all the world bearing fruit and increasing, as it doth in you also, since the day ye heard and knew the grace of God in truth. The King James says, knew the grace of God in truth, and the Passion Translation translates it as they experience the reality of God's grace. It sounds like it's a very different concept, but it's actually the same concept. Because for God, when he talks about us knowing, he's talking about us experiencing. It's not supposed to be something that just happens in your head. It's supposed to be something that happens inside of you, and that comes out inside of your life. Now this word new in the Greek is the word epignosis. Remember that word from a couple of weeks ago? Epinoledge is what I called it. It's not just book knowledge, it's revelation knowledge. This word contains the idea of being able to recognize the truth as the truth. It describes this knowing as a full discernment of accurate and correct information. And it includes the idea of acknowledgement or ownership of that truth. It's not just information. It is the truth that causes transformation. This kind of knowing produces experiential change. There are some things that we can only fully and accurately know through experience. When I was a kid, I lived in California, and I had seen pictures of snow. And I thought, it must be like a giant snow cone dumped on the earth. That must be what snow is like. But finally, when I was about 12, we went to go visit relatives in the Midwest, and there was snow. I had a whole different understanding of snow. It wasn't just like a snow cone. It was so much more. It was so much different than I had imagined. I had a deeper revelation of snow. One of the easiest revelations that most of us can understand is the love of a parent. When I was a kid, my parents would say, you have no idea how much we love you. I would think, yeah, right. (laughs) But when I became a parent, I had a deeper and a fuller revelation of, wow, I had no idea how much I was loved. There is a knowing that comes by experiencing, and that's what God wants for us. The picture that God gave me of this kind of knowledge is that of taking medicine. And what I was picturing was, you know, like you take a spoonful of medicine, two spoons going in each ear, you know? (laughs) Taking my medicine. (laughs) When we hear the truth of God's grace and how good it is, and we receive it, it comes into us and it changes us. When we receive it like medicine and we digest it, we meditate it, its powerful truth reaches every part of us. It heals us. It makes us whole. It causes us to grow and mature. Yes, we are complete in Christ, but a two-year-old is complete, but they not necessarily mature. We are all growing up into the complete fullness of who Jesus is. Yes, he has made us complete, but he wants us to experience the fullness of that completeness. I love how God loves to repeat himself. (laughs) In the same way that good food produces good health, the good news, the true gospel, produces good spiritual health. It brings peace and rest and confidence into our hearts and lives. The good news of the true gospel is the good news that nothing God has is for sale. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It is all, in its entirety, free. The reality of God's unmerited love and goodness that activates the faith in our hearts, that brings the experience of growth, maturity, and security that we are meant to live in, It is us taking in the medicine of the grace of God that brings forth the maturity that we're looking for. As believers in Jesus, we want to grow up into all the fullness to experience in our life. And it is hearing the true gospel over and over and over that that fullness will begin to come out in our lives by experience. What the false teachers in Colossians was teaching brought doubt into the minds of the Colossians so that they couldn't rest in the truth that they were obtained, maintained, and retained by God and his grace alone through faith alone. Salvation really is a completed work of God's hand. It's not a partial work that needs us to add our works in order to complete it. All of our life is saved, healed, delivered, and protected through grace which is God's love and favor freely given as a gift, which is then appropriated by faith. Us believing that he is that good and his salvation is that free, but it's only in believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It has to be that it is in his finished work that we trust, not in anything else. When we know, believe, acknowledge, and fully discern God's grace, we automatically receive God's grace it's the craziest thing. How do I receive God's grace? See it, recognize it for what it is, embrace it. When you see grace, you receive grace because seeing grace in its reality releases our faith. And then through our faith, we experience the reality of God's grace in an increasing measure. The more fully we know about God's grace, the more fully we will experience it in our lives, which is what God wants for us we can become so fully convinced of God's grace, of our Father's absolutely free, loving kindness and goodness, that our faith will work without effort. You see, most of us are always trying really hard to get our faith to work. (laughs) But the remedy for working really hard at your faith is seeing grace for what it really is. When we really see it, when we really understand it, when it becomes real to us, Faith is simple and easy. When bad things come, if I know, I know that I know the grace of my Father, bad things happen, thank you, Lord Jesus, you have an answer for this. It's not, oh, woe is me, what am I gonna do now? You see, if that's my response, then my heart needs to be more fully established in the good grace of my Father, in my Father's absolutely free provision. If I am at unrest, I have not been seeing and knowing his unmerited favor and his unmerited love for us. The more I see it for what it is, the more I absorb it. That's what comes out. And then I can automatically step into it, and go, "Yes, my father has grace for this. Yes, this is no big deal. My father has grace for that, too. doesn't matter what it is. His grace is sufficient for every need. This automatic response it reminds me of how pollen produces sneezing in my life. (laughs) In my nose, I have receptors that are able to quote-unquote see pollen. And when they see pollen, they mistakenly recognize it as a dangerous foreign invader. And so when my nose receptors see these foreign invaders, they automatically respond by producing a sneeze you see that's what grace does when I see grace for what it really is when I embrace the truth of it faith comes on it I don't have to try to work up my faith to make it work (laughs) it's the automatic response you see when I'm in faith I am in peace when I know my father has already given me the answer for whatever comes my way there is no unrest there's no oh my god what am I gonna do it's oh my god I know what you have already done. Oh my God, I am so blessed. doesn't matter what my circumstances are. Oh my God, he's my dad. He's my papa and he loves me and he has an answer for this. You see, I go from worry into rest by knowing who and how good my father is and how complete and sufficient my salvation is. When I see grace, Faith just happens. That's the idea of how seeing and knowing the truth of God's grace activates faith in our heart. When our heart understands the truth of how good Daddy is and how free his goodness and grace is, our heart receives, takes whatever gift of grace it is we need. We're at peace because we know this grace. That's what the Apostle Paul wanted for the believers in Colossae. He wanted them to experience more fully the grace of God through their faith in Jesus and his finished work. But the false teachers were disrupting their faith and stealing their peace and their confidence. The false teaching that was creeping into the early church was a mixture of Judaism, mysticism, and Gnosticism. And all three of these isms proclaimed that faith in Christ alone was insufficient to obtain God's salvation and God's blessings and God's help, God's favor, They taught the believers that they needed to add something to their faith in order to make themselves acceptable to God. What the Gnostics believed was that everybody needed to add something to Jesus, and this something was this special secret knowledge that gave them a certain kind of wisdom that they needed in order to get to God. So to them, secret elite knowledge was the preeminent thing. You see, they didn't need a salvation as a gift. They needed some knowledge so that they could work their way up to Jesus, up to the Father. The early Gnostics believed that everything in the natural realm was evil and that the material world was created by an evil entity who was not even himself God. Their idea of God was someone who was very, very distant and very, very holy who couldn't possibly have anything to do directly with evil human beings, (laughs) much less love them. (laughs) So they believed that it was only through their special secret knowledge given by angels and spirits to only a chosen few that someone could begin to work their way up to God through this special wisdom. When I was reading about their beliefs, I thought it sounded a lot like a video game. (laughs) You know, because on each level you earn enough points and retrieve enough special secret knowledge to get you to the next level, where you're going to earn a bunch of points (laughs) and get a whole bunch more secret special knowledge will get you to the next level. And you do that again, and again, and again, and then hopefully, hopefully before you die, (laughs) you'll get to the final level where you get to go to heaven. That was their theology. (laughs) (laughs) And as ridiculous as that sounds, this is what they were teaching the Colossians. And some of the Colossians were going, well, maybe that is the way it is. Maybe Jesus isn't enough. Maybe they're right. After all, God wants us to know him. Then to add to that, there were some Judaizers who heard the Gnostic teachings, and they decided that the special secret knowledge and wisdom that was only given to a special few must be the law of Moses. They were a chosen group. They were a a select people. And they had knowledge that the rest of the world didn't have. So that must be what we need to add to Jesus. More (laughs) law-keeping. So they thought, they were teaching the Colossians, what we need to add to your faith in Jesus is the super strict law-keeping and the wisdom that came from the law of Moses. That way you can earn the rest of your way up to heaven. And then to the Judaizers and the Gnostics, there came the mystics, who said that Jesus was only human. He wasn't God, therefore he is insufficient as a mediator between God and man. So in order to get the special secret information that they needed to get to God, they had to have the help of angels and spirits. So the mystics thought that what the people needed to add to Jesus was angel worship. As you can see, there is no grace No free loving kindness in any of these scenarios. All of them insist on working or earning their righteousness and their salvation. All of them reject the sufficiency of Christ and his finished work. And all of them reject receiving salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ. Now, what all of these false teachers didn't realize is that when you add anything to Jesus, you eliminate the needed for Jesus. If through wisdom and secret knowledge you can earn your way to God, why do you need Jesus? If keeping the law of Moses and being super strict with your body through self-denial can earn you God's approval, then why do you need Jesus? If worshiping angels can bring you into the presence of God, why do you need Jesus? You see, none of the isms provide the real answer to the question. Why do you need Jesus? (laughs) The truth is we need Jesus because only Jesus was qualified to deal with the real problem. Sin. Sin is what brought the separation between God and man. God was our source of life until sin entered the picture. Sin is what caused mankind to be subject to death. Sin is what causes man to feel alienated and feel like he's an enemy in his mind against God. Mankind's problem was sin and death. Mankind's problem wasn't a lack of special secret knowledge and wisdom given only to the religious elite. Mankind's problem wasn't a lack of enough laws, mosaic or otherwise. Mankind's problem wasn't a lack of angelic or mystical experiences. Mankind's problem was a lack of life. When man's sin... Man died, and dead men cannot bring themselves back to life. We needed someone who could free us from the penalty of death and could resurrect us with new life and then reconnect us to the life of God our Father. We needed a mediator, someone who could represent us to the Father and could represent the Father to us. We needed a God-man, someone who was fully God and fully man. 1 Timothy chapter two, verses three through six says this, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the epi knowledge. I put the epi in there. (laughs) The translators don't do that, but it means the full knowledge, the revelation knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. This is why the false teachers had a problem with Jesus. Their preconceived ideas of God as a holy and distant being and that everything in the material world was evil gave way to them denying the deity of Christ. They didn't believe that God and human flesh could coexist in the same person. And human flesh was evil. How could you take a holy God and put it in evil flesh? Well, flesh is not evil. When he made us, said we are very good. So the real problem was the separation from God. The problem wasn't our flesh, our physical bodies. They said that Jesus wasn't really God, that he only came from God. And he only came to give us more knowledge of God, not to deal with sin. See, the Gnostics didn't believe man had a sin problem. They believed man had an ignorance problem. And they could solve this ignorance problem with the secret mystical knowledge given through spirits and angels to the religious elite, of course. But the truth is, dead men with special secret knowledge are still dead men. (laughs) And dead men who keep the law of Moses and live in strict self-denial are still dead men. And dead men who have mystical experiences with angels and spirits are still dead men. None of these kinds of things can bring a dead man back to life because none of these things have life in themselves. Only Christ has life in himself. John 5, 25 and 26 says this, Truly, truly, that means you should listen really close. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now coming. Hear when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He granted the Son also to have life in Himself. You see, Jesus wasn't talking about just when you die. He says, When you hear the voice of the Son of God, when you hear the Spirit of God speaking to you, there is life in that. He brings His life in us, and to us, and through us. Hearing God brings life. That's what he wants for us, to know this life. So the resurrection life, the eternal life that comes from Jesus himself, who basically in the scriptures say, look, I'm equal to the life of the Father. We share the same life force. Jesus basically said that he was equal with God. And later in the same chapter, Jesus says to the Jews in verse 39 and 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. The false teachers that Paul and the Colossians had to contend with were people who they said had accepted Jesus, but only as a teacher or a prophet or maybe even a mystic. They believed Jesus could help them to help themselves to attain and earn their way to God but they didn't believe that Jesus was himself God. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Everything these false teachers were trying to attain, the revelation of the true And living God, the promise of everlasting life, the favor, the blessing, the acceptance of God, all of these were available as a free gift in Christ. Yet they refused to come to the Father through Jesus the Son. They refused the absolutely free loving kindness of God and the free gift of salvation through Christ alone. They wanted to earn it. They wanted to use their own self-effort to attain what they thought they needed. They wanted to make themselves acceptable to God apart from Christ. They wanted the promise of eternal life and God's favor and blessing and revelation knowledge, but they wanted it all apart from Christ. All apart from grace and faith. You see, they never realized their true problem was that they were dead. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. They never wanted to address the true problem. So they always had the wrong answer. More self-effort, more looking to something other than Jesus. Unfortunately, believers often have the very same problem in reverse. We think our problem is still sin. (laughs) We think if we could just stop sinning, God would love me. If I could just stop sinning, God would approve of me. If I could just stop sinning, God would bless me. If I could just stop sinning, God would reveal himself to me. And then we try to apply the same remedy. Unbelievers apply more self-effort. We try harder not to sin. We try harder to behave ourselves, to control ourselves. We try harder to read our Bible and to pray more. We try harder to make ourselves approved to God. But the truth is, what we really need is to remember His grace his great love for us, his unconditional acceptance of us, his great desire to influence our hearts to believe in his unmerited favor. So what Paul does for the Colossians and for us is he points out the sufficiency of Christ, the sufficiency of the work of the cross, and the sufficiency of the work of salvation in the heart of the believer, all of which are available only by grace through faith. In Colossians chapter 1, we see the sufficiency of the person of Christ. Beginning in verse 15, it says, speaking of Jesus, Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, in the heavens and upon the earth, things visible and things invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things have been created through him and unto him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. Jesus is God and is equal to God and is perfectly sufficient to procure our salvation. He alone has preeminence. Therefore, we can rest assured that our salvation is completely sufficient because Jesus is completely sufficient. In chapter 2 of Colossians, speaking of Jesus, it says, "...in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden." Since Jesus has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, we can rest assured that his wisdom and knowledge is completely sufficient for our every need. We don't need something from somewhere else. We don't need to talk to angels. We don't need to talk to spirits. We have God, we have the Father. What's wrong with Christians today who think they have to talk to angels? We have God. (laughs) In Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 through 22, we see the sufficiency of the cross. For it was the good pleasure of the Father that in him Jesus should all the fullness dwell and through him to fully and completely reconcile all things unto himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross through him. I say, whether the things upon the earth or the things in the heaven. And you, being in past time alienated and enemies in your mind, in your evil works, yet now, right now, hath He fully and completely reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and without blemish and unreprovable before Him. Since we know that God through Christ has reconciled all things back to himself. We can rest assured that our reconciliation, that our sin debt being paid in full is so completely sufficient that we can never add anything to it. The cross is sufficient for our complete and total reconciliation. In Colossians chapter 2, we see the sufficiency of Jesus's work in us. Colossians 2.13, and you We're dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In Christ, we have been made alive, complete, and full. Jesus and his finished work are completely and entirely sufficient for every need. All God asks is that we believe that God is as good as he says he is, that his work of salvation is as sufficient as he says it is, and that he loves us as much as he says he does. And then shift our faith away from our own abilities and trust our Father's faithfulness. God our Father wants us to experience the truth, the reality of His grace, the reality of His unconditional love and favor. He wants to reveal Himself to us even more than we want Him to. The more we see the truth of the gospel of grace, the more we will experience the reality of His grace and the reality of His unconditional love and His unmerited favor. And his divine influence upon our heart. It is the truth of the gospel of grace that comforts and encourages our hearts and allows us to stand fully assured in all the will of God. Amen. 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 Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that you have given us life and life more abundant, that you have given us the very life of Christ that we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, and we don't need to seek anything for salvation outside of you. Everything we need is found in you. You have all the wisdom. You have all the knowledge. You have all the truth. I ask, Father God, that you open our eyes to see and receive all of your truth, the truth of your love, the truth of your grace, the truth of your cross, the truth of the finished work, and the truth that we have already died and been risen to new life, that we are safe in your hands and in your love. Father, I thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.